This is KUCI in Irvine, and we are here with Ricky Phillips from Styx. He plays bass, does backing vocals and guitar. He's been with the band since 2003, and uh, welcome to KUCI. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Kevin. All right, so it's some 45 years after its formation, and yet Styx are still ridiculously popular, going strong, and attracting sizable audiences. What's your theory on why the music of Styx still resonates with audiences decades later? I think one of the, there's probably several factors and everybody may even have a different reason, but um, I think one of the, the biggest things that I notice is that um, when, you ter- when you hear Styx on the radio, they're identifiable in probably three seconds. You know, it's a Styx yeah. song. Or, and, and so when people say, well, what is it that makes Styx sound or whatever, for me, it's not just the vocals. It's not just um, uh, the song style, which is, gosh, it goes from prog to really poppy to um, it, everything is sort of done um, where they get away with moving all across the palette of, of, of styles. But because they remain true to their own sound and always have, um, it seems it seems to be identifiable. I think people reflect with that. and People are com- get comfortable with things that they recognize. And, um, you know, Tommy Shaw and uh, J.Y. have this sound when they play together. All the, all the years I've been playing with them, I, I've never really seen them work on that. It just happens. It's just yeah. one of those cool uh, anomalies about the band. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of tough to pinpoint it down to one thing. But um, I think the uniqueness of, of the band, not really sounding like any other band, um, I mean, I see similarities in certain other bands. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I see when I, there's certain passages in Queen songs that I think, wow, that's kind of sticks-ish. Mm-hmm. Or a certain certain proggy bands that also have a lot of vocals. Um, but and even even a little bit with, uh, with um, well, um, I mean, J.Y. is very, very influenced by Hendrix, but I wouldn't say that Sticks sounds like, like Hendrix. Right. But I think, I think yes has mm-hmm. some things we toured with them and I was surprised in the similarities I never really realized before right. until you hear the ba- this bands back to back but but they're you know very still very different yes is very identifiable in their own right and and, and you know the same for sticks well and I'd like to add that I think that sticks is some of the greatest harmonies and the most unique and awesome sounding you know vocals when everybody's there together that it certainly helps with that identifiability yeah, I agree. Cool. Thanks for thanks for adding that. I mean, we've done um, we've done some uh, some concerts with with country bands, and they always come in and say, "Man, you know, you guys were our favorite." Oh, really? Nice. We're always surprised by that, and and the explanation is always, "Yeah, you guys were one of the few bands that we could hear on the radio that would do group harmonies." Yeah, yeah. And that's what we liked, and that's that wasn't happening in country music until a little later. So yeah, you're right. I have a follow up question to Jared's about the the you know the, the span of the the band i i'm guessing based on you know we've seen you guys a few times he and i both have gone to the shows together in the last few years and i've noticed i'm sure you've noticed there are a lot of second generation fans of these shows nowadays why do you suppose that is and you know when previous generations never had that kind of connection when i grew up i didn't want to have anything to do with my dad's jazz at least at the time or my mom's elvis presley but suddenly you've got kids that you know my kids like my music even though they're really too young to go but you know why, why do you suppose that is and are you actually seeing that i i, I see that yeah and that's a great question but i mean you could ask 
a hundred musicians that same question, they may they may come up with a little bit different answer. Mm-hmm. But I think we all kind of grew up on the palette. We learned how to write songs probably from the Beatles, and then Cream and and Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. in the seventies uh, or the sixties. I mean, gave us some edge and some toughness. And the British seemed to take what was um, American blues and embrace it in a way that Mer- Americans never really right. did. Yeah. But then they, they reprocessed it and put it into British rock that came back to us, and then we embraced that. So in a way, I've talked to J.Y. about this. When I was a kid, <clears throat> I, I was I, the Howlin' Wolf, and um, uh, certain, after being reintroduced to me through through British rock bands, which I was really, really, that's all I listened to when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um I, I started to see um, Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters. Um, oh gosh, um, Wilson Pickett was probably my favorite singer, and and Bobby Blue Bland. And when there's people like that, you go, "Wow, that's that's as good as it gets." Yeah. And then, um, so there was a little bit of that, but then there was. I know what you mean. How um, every generation has their style. You hear you hear your parents' music, and you kind of go, "Oh God." You know, you just don't want you want your own thing, and I think every generation sort of has their sweet spot in the musical palette and what was playing, and it was sort of the soundtrack of of your life. That's what you reflect with. But now to go on just a, a minute longer, with a long-winded answer. Sure. I, this, from from what I said in the very beginning, we learned how to write from mm-hmm. a really incredible band, which was the Beatles. And whether you like the or get the Beatles, maybe they're too early on for you to get them, depending on what your age would be. Um, but they taught us song structure um, and taught, taught us how to use, you know, augmented chords in a pop song. I mean, they, they did had a really incredible uh, a viewpoint on, on harmony, not just vocal harmony, but also in the way that they, uh, what the notes that Paul McCartney would play against whatever the root note was. And then they also had a really strong chorus, that everybody could identify mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe their lyric, lyrics were even a little sappy and, and not brilliant, but they were presented in such a classy A A plus form that uh, you know the guys that were my age and, and younger that learned from from them already had a great idea of how to write a good song just just from learning Beatles stuff. And then you get the Who, and and you, that's that takes a little bit of a side turn. It's a little bit more. Uh, experimental, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, and certain other bands that came along, like I said, Hendrix, The Cream. Um, there are a lot of a lot of great sort of pop bands that came came out of that era. And then Zeppelin rolled in at the end of the '60s, and wow, yeah. well, a lot a lot of things had happened in about you know, in the less than ten years, and probably seven or eight years. Wow. I want to remind listeners they're in tune to KUCI and Irvine KUCI.org. We're speaking with Ricky Phillips of Styx. So I follow you guys on Facebook, and you recently posted something that's either the 39th or 40th anniversary of the release of Grand Illusion, an album that's on too many best-of lists to name. I know several years ago you guys decided to play this album and Pieces of Eight cover to cover. How did you guys come up with that idea, and how is it playing so many classic songs back to back? Do you get tired of playing those songs? Do you sometimes wish you could play some of the newer material? Wow, yeah, um, not so much wanting to play the newer material, I think, but but I did love doing that tour. Um, I wish we'd do it again. It's been a few years now, and, and I thought it was 
it was so much fun. I got, I played all kinds of different basses to get different uh, tonalities and yeah. sounds that I, I thought were appropriate from song to song. And, um, to present that, if you think about it, when a band plays live, they start off with one sort of recognizable song, and then they they pad their set as 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 they move forward, working towards the biggest hits, where you, which are usually the encore songs. When you make a record, it's exactly the opposite. So we played those records um, in the same way that they, in the same sequence that they were recorded. So you could live that vinyl experience actually, and. The reason it's backwards is because when you were in those days when you wanted the program director to play your current single, you wanted them to hear it right away. Mm -hmm. So the first <clears throat> two or three songs were the most radio friendly, if you will, or most the uh, the songs that were going to get on a pop format and get spun on the hour every hour um, with at least the, certainly the first two two or three songs. Well, so that's that's backwards. So you start up, boom, boom, boom. And then it's the, the, the more avid music listener who gets deep cuts, but then you move into deep cuts and you move towards the, the end of the set, which usually um, on, a, on a, a record release back in the day when, when things were sequenced to, to be sort of a musical experience, not just one song downloaded, but 10 to 11, maybe 12 songs that created a journey, a musical journey. And in vinyl, you had to get up, you had to go over, you had to flip it over put it back on and get reinvested. So there was a thought and the design on how to sequence the B-side of, of vinyl. And now people, since vinyl is now cool again and it's it, a lot of bands are wanting to make vinyl, people are getting back into that experience and sequencing with that thought in mind. They're taking people on, on a journey where they want to go over and flip the record over. They want to hear, it. where's this going? But it leads to um, Aku Aku, um, is that, is it on pieces of eight. Pieces of eight. Yeah. Yeah. Pieces of eight, which um, was the end of the night, is a very Floydian sort of mm. piece of music, and so, and it's very very slow mid tempo. Who who ends a concert with a slow mid tempo song? So it was really quite a challenge the very first night when we did this, realizing we're not ending with uh, Renegade or, or Come Sail Away or or, or some you know. Rock in the Paradise, something that's really up tempo. Mm -hmm. We're ending with something that's slow mid tempo, and uh, so what we did is we we played a live fade, and all of us kind of got we got kind of good at it, and we would stretch it out some nights, and but the lights would start to dim as we were fading the music, and as soon as we were playing sort of that quiet whispered last note, the lights would go black. Nice. And the first night was a little bit of a, you know, holding our breath to see, oh, how is this going to work? But then after about the, the longest three seconds of my life, the, the place erupted and it was it worked. And we knew we had something. Great. But it was it was a test because it's exactly the opposite of what we would normally do. That, that's really interesting to think about. I mean, you would play Come Sail Away so early in, in the set and that right. it could potentially be anticlimactic. And yet I think for so many fans, I mean, when you listen to Grand Illusion and you listen to Pieces of Eight, some of the songs that I think fans would want to hear live just to see how it could be pulled off are the ones, like you said, Aku Aku and some of the others. So it's pretty pretty gutsy move to make. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Ricky, you know, despite the, the resurgence of vinyl, changes in the music industry, you know, the fall of, physical music as CDs, as people buying albums for the sake of albums. You know, now people just buy singles 
you know, or individual songs off of iTunes. How has that affected the band, if if it has at all? Um, hmm. I mean, I'm guessing if, if you don't sell as many physical things, maybe there's not as much money. I know that touring is really the way to go, and we're fortunate that's the case, so we get to see you every year practically. But I don't know if the you know the fall of the music industry in the traditional sense has affected you guys at all. I think the only thing we really have control over, really fully, is um, what we sell at um, at the concerts. We sell signed CDs, mm. and um, and the CD is a, is like as you said, you know, it's a, it's a tangible. Yeah, uh, it's something that isn't just a download, um, and that works. I mean. But we are really more concentrated and focused on uh, the touring mm-hmm. part of the music industry because, quite honestly, it's just um, that's how we feed our, fa- our, our our crews, families, and our families, and, and keep ourselves busy and keep us working, keep us viable. We like to tour. We like the fact that the band seems to gain fans every year. Mm-hmm. The band gains fans, and so we enjoy the process. Um, I remember when I first, when Tommy first called me and said, "Hey." This is what's up. Do you want him? Um, would you want to go back on the road? And we talked it out for about an hour. And, um, I had been just producing and writing music for film and television, and, and uh, that's how I was paying my mortgage and, and, and moving on. I just kind of never even, after a few years, that was it. I mean, I didn't think about ever being in a band again. But I will say, that's why we all do what we do. We we saw the Beatles and the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. on Ed Sullivan and... and uh, you know, Sly and the Family Stone and the coolest bands ever. And that's what we want to do. So um, I was excited to come on board. I was excited that I was the guy that, you know, as they say, rose to the top of the list and, and was the one they called. So um, it's, I think it's a cool fit. I would have never seen it maybe like they did. Thank God they did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's really a cool fit. I love working with Todd Zuckerman. He and I met in the L.A. music scene doing sessions. I'm oh. first, first day I met him, I walked in and I heard him tuning up and there's something about the way a drummer hits a drum, even when the kit's not completely up, that you go, okay, this guy's good. Who is this guy? Yeah, yeah. Said, oh, it's a guy from Sticks. And I said, oh, I've been hearing about him. So from that point on, I was frustrated with the fact he was in Sticks and I couldn't use him on more productions. <laughs> I was, and uh, so it was just a, an awesome uh, phone call to get and now I can't believe it's been... I will finish my 13th year in yeah, a couple more months and awesome. start my 14th. And you're, yeah. still, you're still the new kid, right? I'm still the new guy. <laughs> yeah. let, me, let me ask you one final question here, and we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, how does the band and musicians in the band that, you know, with the exception of Todd, are essentially all in their 60s, maintain mm-hmm. that passion and the energy you know, and the stamina to do this tour schedule and to play all this high-energy rock and roll every night or you know, however many nights a week? Well, maybe it's because our memories are shorter and we forget we're in our 60s. I don't know. I mean, it's we really don't. Um, <clears throat> I don't think we go out feeling any any differently than we did. Excuse me, when we were in our 20s, and that's we talk about that occasionally. It's like you walk out there, you do what you, what you know how to do, you get this mindset and get into this groove and this vibe that you just is a comfortable place to go. And uh, we do the show, even though the show changes from night to night by by just the nature of it being a different place and a different set of people and a different reaction and that you wake up every day feeling a little bit different but the one constant is we've been doing this more than most of our lives yeah and it's a com- really comfortable place when you're in a with a group of guys that get it yeah 
not all bands do, and you'll, you'll hear infighting amongst bands, and you'll hear bands breaking up, changing members all the time. To stay alive over the last 45 years, Sticks has had to, um, you know, they've had to change members. There's you know, members who have died, more than one. And um, so to keep going and to keep the organism alive and viable, you have to protect it from anything that is a negative force. Yeah. And they've done that, and I think they've done it very um, – they've executed that very well. And um, from what I'm hearing from my friends and fans that write me letters and ask me questions, um, they seem to be very happy with, with where um, J.Y. And, and Tommy have sort of shepherded and made, made sure that Six stays true to the original recordings. We, we play all the songs every night in the original keys. We mm. have not – dummied down or yeah. you know tune the guitars down we haven't right. changed keys and we also don't use any pre-recorded music uh well that's not true there's one thing that is pre-recorded and that's the alarm clock at the beginning of too much time in my head <laughs> oh i we, thought you guys had an alarm clock on stage <laughs> <laughs> we tried that didn't work um much easier to program it but yeah. um other than that man everything you hear as tommy uh, jokes on stage sometimes he's, he'll say every every mistake you hear tonight was played live <laughs> so um you know it's it's something that keeps us on our toes and, and makes us push a little harder. We uh, we we stand face to face for 20 minutes and sing um, uh, right at you know at each other and, and get that comfortability before we go out on stage. I always uh, people who ask me about that. I said, you think when in his heyday that Tiger Wood jumped out of the car and ran with the golf club in his hand to the first tee? He, no, he's there for two hours working on what he's about to do and getting his game face on, mm -hmm. and that's what we do as well. Ricky Phillips, it's so great to have you on KUCI. Fix will be at the Pacific Amphitheater tonight, kicking off the summer season of the Pacific Amphitheater. You can find out more about Sticks and the entire tour by checking them out online. Follow them on Facebook. Always a great performance. We will be there tonight. Ricky Phillips, thanks so much for joining us on KUCI. Thanks very much, guys. Take care. Thank you.